People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, today we're going to be talking about something really serious on Kidney Talk, and I think everybody needs to listen to this show and understand how important the process of how dialysis is reimbursed in some of the uh, congressional policies that are in this country. So I'm really excited today that we have Mike Paget, um, who is, I would say, an expert in this subject and will help us understand some of the things that we need to understand to be more active in the kidney community. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Laurie. Thank you for having me. Why don't we just step back a little bit and talk a little bit about the ESRD dialysis program, the NSAGE renal disease program, and when it started in 1972, to give everybody a little bit of a platform of where we're going to be headed throughout this show. Yeah, well, as you well know, Laurie, as a long-standing uh, kidney patient, uh, we did uh, finally convince Congress, uh, as you mentioned back in 1972, to pay for dialysis treatment, which is a obviously a monumental achievement uh, in that day. Since then, uh, dialysis has been paid. At least 80% of the bill has been paid for uh, by Medicare for these dialysis treatments. Uh, one of the key issues that when we introduced that bill uh, way back then, we had no really thoughts about how to make adjustments for it. And uh, we've kind of been captured at the those 30 plus years at being somewhat paid at the same rates. Well, back in 1972, I mean, just to give everybody a, a little bit of how historic this is, is that they literally dialyzed the patient before Congress and said, you pick and choose who will get dialysis. And Congress created this special reimbursement system that led to everybody being able to have access to dialysis treatment, which is the first and last time, you know, Congress has ever made a decision regarding a specific illness. So I really feel grateful because, you know, God, hundreds of thousands, millions of patients have benefited from this. So can you talk a little bit about when they created it, they basically decided to pay for the treatment and dialysis kind of evolved over time, correct? And that's what's happening in 1983. They developed what was called a composite rate. Can you talk a little bit about that? You're right. Medicare, you know, as we know, is for our people over the age of 65. And this was unique, making Medicare available for a disability, the disability being end-stage renal disease. In 1983, they did try to structure this with what was called the composite payment, which basically meant that the Medicare would pay for a set number of services for a treatment. So it was basically the dialysis treatment, the routine drugs like heparin, lidocaine that will be given during that treatment and saline and certain lab tests. Any other medications and lab tests that were needed over and above that were referred to as non-routine and separately billable. So a non-routine lab test could be like if you have your potassium drawn. Potassium or infections for uh, antibiotics, iron, vitamin D, 
All of these were considered non-routine and separately billable and are, at this point in time, still billed in that same method. So in 1983, when they created this composite rate, they forgot to create a mechanism for an annual update which has caused some problems in the community because it hasn't allowed for the rise in inflation, which is why it leads us to the next question of, can you tell us a little bit about the new legislation that was just passed this year called MIPA? Yep, you're right, Laura. In fact, the Medicare providers are the only Medicare providers that do not have an automatic uh, annual market basket update. provided by legislation. And that is one of the things that uh, our industry has been fighting for for many, many years to get Congress to recognize you know, the cost of living that we all have to endure, uh, to recognize that in the cost of having to provide you know, care for the dialysis patients. You know, when you say market basket, I think it's interesting because I always think of like a grocery store, but it's really just an increase for inflation, correct? Yeah, they look at the market basket. What what's in the market? Be it, you know the loaf of bread. You know we look at that as a you know a unit of measure. Well, the loaf of bread was a dollar one year, and it's a dollar ten the next year. So that's a ten percent increase in the cost of providing that service. And so there wasn't an annual update placed in this special Medicare provision back in 1984. In 1984, tell us a little bit about MIPA. This is the new piece of legislation that was passed July of last year, July 15th of last year. It's the Medicare Improvements for Patients and Providers Act. And there's a number of provisions in that act, a number that don't even apply to uh, ESRD. But clearly there are a number that do apply to ESRD. And one is the provision that we will now, moving forward, get a market basket update. However, the major change is the way in which they're going to reimburse the dialysis providers. Instead of using the composite method that we talked about earlier, they're now going to use what's been referred to as a bundled payment system with a unit of payment yet to be determined, and we can talk about that. But they're basically taking that composite rate and taking all those non-routine or separately billable items and putting it into one payment. So that's a major, major change uh, for the way the providers have been reimbursed for the last 20 plus years. So Congress voted on this law, and this was confusing for me because Congress passed this law, but they really don't tell how the law is written. They leave that up for CMS, Centers for Medicaid, Medicare Services. And right now, CMS is writing something that's called the rule. Can you explain a little bit about the rule and the Federal Register and all of these confusing terms that we're hearing thrown out? The, the legislature, our folks in Congress, pass laws you know, in the form of bills, but then they have to be placed into regulation. And it's the administration folks that end up writing those regulations. Uh, in this particular case, it's going to be uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And there's a publication referred to or called the Federal Register that's published every day that you know, shows all of these changes to, uh, to these regulations or proposed changes to regulations as in this case. And we are at this point waiting to see the Federal Register publication for these proposed rulemaking. And we're hoping to be seeing that sometime this month of July uh, so we can respond. And this is open for everybody to respond. There's called a 60-day comment period. 
and that's what we want to make all of our uh, industry and patients aware of, that it is for all of us to comment on these when we start to see what the final interpretation has been made by CMS. So when I hear the term Federal Register, I think there's a lot of stuff to read. And so what will happen is is CMS will send out a, like an alert. There'll be a message and it'll it'll say, this is what we're proposing for the rule to be. So I think the term is just proposed rule. And you have 60 days to comment on that. And after 60 days, CMS will then have to respond to everybody's comment, correct? Correct. They don't respond individually. I mean, you don't necessarily expect to get a letter back from them. But when they publish the final rule, they would take into consideration all those comments. And in the preamble to the final rule, they list all of the comments that have been made and give their understanding or interpretation of those comments, whether they considered them, didn't consider them, etc. So it's a somewhat a transparent uh, process. So it's a transparent process because it's all online, something that you can visually read? Oh, absolutely. These are published online on their uh, website every day. Now, why is this so important and how do we comment? So I think that's really important, too. I think back in the early 1970s, a final rule probably came out or proposed rule that led to a final rule. And somebody missed in there that they didn't have an annual update for inflation because of the fact that they'd never done this before. So that's why it's really important for everybody to read and take an interest in this subject because the devil's in the details. Absolutely. The opportunity to comment is clearly defined in the proposed rulemaking. It tells you how to comment. Very often there's a a website you can go to and put your comments in there electronically. You can email them in or you can hard copy them in. But it has to be a very structured comment. They tell you in detail how to comment. What they do like to receive is not just, we don't like this type of comment. They want alternatives. If this is not the way to do it, how would you propose it should be done? Right. They want solutions. Yeah. Don't, don't, it's not just a, a complaint session. They want actually structured criticism and solutions to alternatives. Well, I was talking to one of my friends the other day and telling them a little bit about this process. And they said, well, you know, I'll just contact my congressman and senator. And I said, no, that's a good idea to be in contact with them. But I think if you're going to contact your congressman or senator, uh, make sure you ask them to comment to CMS. You can't just call your senator and say, I don't like what CMS is doing or I like what they're doing. You need to instruct your congressman or senator to comment to in the formal process. Correct. They would have to use you know, the same process pretty much as you and I would do to state the actual you know, tag number in the reference so they know exactly what is being referred to. Will the Federal Register come with like seven digits? <laughs> Lots of subsections and numbers and they're, they're the items that you would refer to, you know, subsection C, you know, little I, etc. Uh, and then it would have a, a heading and then you would you know, reference that and then put your concern or your issue or your solution uh, or your comment uh, under that heading. So it has to be very well structured. You know, this is a somewhat an analytical process that you know, they're going to go through and they're going to get thousands of comments. Right. 
uh, in something as monumental as this, uh, you know, this is, the, as we said, the biggest change we've had in our system in over 20 odd years. So uh, they are prepared to, you know, to have to deal with this. And certainly, looking back at when they introduced the composite rate in 1984, the proposed rulemaking came out in February of '83. And it was May of 84, some 15 months later, that they actually published the final rule. Well, you can imagine back in those days, no one was emailing comments. There was no website. Uh, so everything was done by hard copy. And it took them well over a year to digest that and publish the final rule. So you can imagine now with the, our age of technology, uh, how many comments they're going to receive. Yeah, it's so easy to comment. Well, we don't know what's going to be in the proposed rule, but you know, what are some of the things that the community is anticipating that are going to be topics of discussion? Well, there's a number, and I think uh, if we look at the first one might be the unit of payment. Uh, at the moment, the unit of payment is per treatment. And we talked about that earlier, being a composite rate for the treatment and then the, the non-routine items. Well, now we know all of those are going to be bundled into a unit of payment, but it may not be treatment. In fact, in the actual legislation, it didn't even mention treatment. It referred to weekly or monthly payments or some other alternative. I think as a general rule at the moment, the industry is looking to you know, keep it simple and still stick with the per treatment. That will certainly make it easier for patients when they're visiting uh, other facilities, going on vacation, etc. It may make it a lot easier also to track when patients are in the hospital or when they're you know, dialyzing in the facility and things like this. Yeah, it does. It They try to make things easier and then it, it can, some occasions, just make things more complicated for patients. I mean, the unit of treatment payment is, it is like, would one unit want to pay another facility to go away for the weekend? You know, there's a lot of book work involved and a lot of, of changing of funds. So that may not be the best thing for patients and to, to help us have the freedom that we want when, when we have a, a need dialysis. The other part will maybe when we actually hopefully make it our unit of payment being a treatment, then the issue will be what is included in that bundle. Right. Because we know they've defined that drugs have to be in there, including oral drugs. But what we know uh, from a patient perspective, we do see the dialysis unit as our primary caregiver and our nephrologist. And very often we do receive services in the dialysis facility that aren't directly related to renal care. We may have an infection in the foot, as an example, and be given an antibiotic for that. Well, that's not dialysis related. But at the moment, pretty much Medicare will still pay for it to the dialysis provider because they're going to pay for it in the clinic or the hospital anyway. So it makes sense. Now we're not sure if that will still be the case. That could mean that a patient would have to go to another location to receive an IV for their infection, correct? Correct, yeah. And maybe the same on lab. I mean, very often the nephrologists may have some other concern and want to run another lab test that is not normal for dialysis. And the same question might be asked, you know, if that's included in the bundled rate, well, maybe the dialysis provider, you know, doesn't want to pay for that because they're not going to get paid any extra. So maybe, like you said, the patient may have to go to another lab draw center 
or to the hospital to have their lab drawn for that one test, which could be clearly a, a major inconvenience for the patient and you know unnecessarily services as well. Well, if the facilities are getting a certain amount of money and they got to provide care, one of the things I think that is going to be that patients need to understand is how they're going to uh, measure quality. I get so Congress is putting in place some minimal quality measures that providers have to meet. Because I guess thinking of a patient, if I get so much money and a drug is very expensive, will they perhaps not give me as much that I need because it saves them money? And how do I protect myself? So these are all the things that are really up for dispute in the proposed rule. Absolutely. I think the Congress were smart enough to realize that, that there had to be some measurement. And that's what you mentioned, these um, quality measures that have been, uh, been put in place. And then there are in, you know, incentives for the providers to meet those measures, because uh, if they don't meet those measures, they will be penalized in, to the point of having up to 2% of their reimbursement uh, reduced. So there's clearly incentives for the provider from a fiscal perspective to do the best quality care they can for the patient. So, yeah, so if they don't meet these certain quality measures, and what are the quality measures? Do you have them handy? There's basically, I think, about six quality measures. Uh, One is the anemia management, and that would be looking at the amount of epigen and iron that the patient will get to make sure that their hematocrit is at the appropriate levels. Uh, The other is the adequacy the term I'm sure most patients have heard, KT over V, and there's a different monitoring level for both the hemodialysis patients and for peritoneal uh, patients. Then the mineral metabolism is the other, vascular access. Obviously the goal has been for many years for fistula first, you know, to try and make sure we get as many of our patients on uh, AV fistulas. Uh, patient education and quality of life, so there's a like a a survey that would be done to assess the patient's quality of life. So it's required now that all the providers will be doing those surveys for patients. And then the last will be patient survival, looking at uh, risk-adjusted mortality rates. And I know we have the initiative to try and improve our first-year mortality rates for patients. Well, one of the things that, you know, when I hear that too, is I know many of the patients in the community are really in favor of more dialysis and and home dialysis. And it's not really mentioned, is it? That's interesting one, Roy, because one of the concerns is at the moment, most of the intermediaries that pay for dialysis services for Medicare do allow with medical justification for extra treatments for those patients that need it. We have no idea in this new system whether that will be allowed, even with medical justification. And certainly if there was a monthly payment, that has been some argument, the pros and cons. Well, if Medicare is paying for a monthly payment, the facility then has the ability to give as many dialysis treatments as they want because they're going to get the same amount of money per month for that uh, patient. So yes, there could be an advantage by a, a monthly or weekly payment. But none of us know exactly what the dollar amount is going to be. You mentioned 300 for per treatment. As you said, we don't know that. I know. I was just pulling a number out of the air. I mean, if it was you know, to be on the, the other end, if it was $500 per treatment, yeah, you could probably get a lot of things for that. But if it was down to lower than you suggested, certainly uh, there will be some serious issues. We do have a rough idea what it's going to be based on what's you know, in the uh, criteria, but still a lot of unknowns. And that's why we're anxiously waiting for the 
the publication of this federal register with the proposed rulemaking. Well, and I, I think it's fascinating. We have 60 days to comment, so it's a lot of information to absorb, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this Kidney Talk show, because we wanted to start alerting to people to some of the things that were coming down the pike. And, uh, you know, Mike, will you come back and give us more information in the future? Absolutely. Absolutely, Lori. So if anybody wants any more information, you know, or uh, get involved with the Renal Support Network, please go to our website. We'd love to have you involved. We'll have all this information available for you to be able to read and how to comment and where to comment. And, you know, let's stay involved because, again, I want to refer back to why is this so important, Mike? Well, as you know, it took us so many years to get here. And the, you know, the old adage of, you know, it takes an act of Congress. Right. That's what it would take. If we don't do it right this time, we'd all have to go back and start lobbying Congress, get another bill in place, and go through the whole process again. No, we don't want to do that. We want to work on other things. Let's get it right. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference.